Welcome to the Life and Legacy Show, where we discuss all things elder law, estate, and legacy planning. Hosted by certified elder law attorney, Tim Seckler, from the Seckler Law Firm. And now your host, attorney Tim Seckler. And welcome to this week's edition of the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm, where great families make great estate plans. My name is Tim Seckler. And I host uh, this weekly show called The Life and Legacy Show to give you all the things I think you need to know about to make good decisions regarding your family, your finances. Uh, I have a particular desire to help middle-class families in their retirement years not go broke uh, from long-term care expenses, which I believe to be sort of the biggest issue that most uh, most retirees face. Um, and, you know, when, when I'm working with a client, and we're trying to figure out, you know, what the estate plan should consist of, what documents we should use to effectively plan for the person. You know, we're almost always asking a question, what's, what keeps you up at night? What, what are your concerns? What are the things that, that you need to be thinking about or, or you know, that, that you would sleep better if we allevi- uh, alleviated those concerns? And so often it comes down uh, to long-term care expenses. And I've done a lot of work uh, on this um, show in the past teaching people all about how you can protect your assets in the event that you would get sick in the future. Um, Today, what I want to chat about is uh, I'm I'm speaking to those who are ill that may need care soon, to uh, the spouses of the people who are sick and may need care soon, to the adult child caregivers of people who need care or are currently receiving care maybe in a nursing home um, because this situation tends to be one where um, families sort of freeze. Uh, when I, if I have to put my dad in a nursing home, the nursing home is going to put all this confusing paperwork in front of me. They're talking to me about payment sources, Medicare, Medicaid. They're asking me about my dad's resources. If it's my dad and I'm not real close uh, with the finances, you know, a lot of seniors kind of keep that information close to the chest. So I may not even know uh, my dad's resources, and I know that there's uh, eligibility rules to get into the nursing home, and there's eligibility rules for uh, getting benefits to pay for the nursing home. And it's all a very, frankly, scary and, uh, and stressful situation. And as a result of, like, all of this stress and all of this, I'm just listening to what these guys are saying to me, um, a lot of families don't do anything. And one of the big things that they're concerned about is this Medicaid five-year look-back period. See, for context, Medicaid is the only payment source that's going to help you pay for custodial long-term care in a skilled nursing facility. It's Medicaid. It's not Medicare in the long term. Uh, If you don't have long-term care insurance, you are a private pay resident in a skilled nursing facility until you essentially go broke. And once you go broke, uh, you can become eligible for Medicaid. The trick, of course, is to not go broke. And so, but, you know, you can't just give your stuff away. You can't just make it disappear uh, and, and get rid of all of your money and all of your house and all of your stuff on Tuesday and ask for Medicaid to pay for the nursing home on Thursday. It, it just doesn't work that way. Um, they don't let you do that. Medicaid has a five-year look-back period. That sort of stands for the idea that you have to plan for your assets five years prior to your need for the skilled nursing facility. Um, We've put out a lot of content on that. You can check out old episodes of the Life and Legacy show to find out my thoughts on protecting your house, protecting your money, if you're worried about care in the future. Um, The other thing, though, is people get 
concerned because they, they learn of this five-year look-back period. Can't give my stuff away. Dad's already in the nursing home, which means it must be illegal to do anything or, or there's nothing left for me to do. You know, the nursing home doesn't want me to transfer the money. The state doesn't transfer the money. I'm trying to be a good steward of Dad's money. I don't want to do anything and make any mistakes and cause myself any stress or headache or, or concern. Um, and so as a result of all of this, people tend to freeze. Um, and I would encourage you um, not to. You should seek our help or you should seek the help of uh, a qualified elder law attorney like us to guide you through this situation because there's still a lot of things you can do even after a nursing home admission if the fact pattern is right, right? And so you're not going to be able to do this on your own, frankly. Uh, and it's a shame – I've said it time and time again. It's a shame that – my particular practice area needs to exist. You shouldn't need an attorney to help you get long-term care in your senior years. You you shouldn't. But this system is so darn complicated and there's so many pitfalls and the eligibility requirements and it's all so confusing that you do. A nursing home admission is a legal problem. If if somebody's coming after you for 15 or 18,000 dollars a month, most people would consider hiring a lawyer to understand how to protect assets. And, and with a nursing home admission, they're coming for fifteen dollars to $18,000 a month. And this is no different. You should seek um, the guidance of an attorney to help figure out what you're allowed to do, how you can protect some money, how you can get your loved one the care they need without going broke in the process. And oftentimes, there's an awful lot you can do. Now, I'm going to preface the rest of this episode by saying don't try this at home, okay? The things that I'm telling you today probably could work in your situation, may work in your situation, may be a terrible, terrible mistake in your situation. So don't do any of these things without legal advice. This show is for your education and information and occasional entertainment. This is not legal advice. Don't take what I do and say on this radio show and try to do it yourself. You will make mistakes. I promise you, you will make mistakes that will cost you big time. Um, but what I did in preparation for today's show is I was just thinking through, okay, so lots of people have concerns about, you know, once my dad is in the nursing home, there's nothing I can do. I don't want to make a mistake. Um, and so I just wrote down 10 things you can still do to protect money. And this list is not exhaustive. I, you know, next week I could probably give you 10 more in next week's episode. But, but the idea is that you need to have your situation analyzed. You need to think it through. Uh, and um, before I get into these things, if you have somebody in this situation and you want us to take a look at it, we do free consultations for people who have a loved one in a nursing home. So you can give us a call at 724-546-4227. Again, 724-546-4227. Uh, or check us out at secklerlawfirm.com, S-E-C-H-L-E-R, lawfirm.com. Um, and there you can find all, all types of information. You can schedule for one of our upcoming workshops. We have a great Medicaid downloadable guide if you go to the resources tab. We've got a great Medicaid guide that explains uh, some of the eligibility rules. And so we just continue to put out content, content, content in hopes that we can help you make some good decisions. Um, but what are 10 things that we can do after someone has already gone to the nursing home? Well, so the five-year look-back period is a rule that essentially says that you cannot transfer your assets 
within five years of needing to apply for Medicaid eligibility because then if you do apply for Medicaid within five years, you won't be eligible for some time period because of the transfer, right? So first of all, it's not illegal. It's just that you're not eligible for care because you gave the money away, all right? But this five-year look-back period has some exceptions. Um, One of the exceptions is you can transfer assets freely between spouses. So sometimes it could make a lot of sense, depending on the type of the asset, that I move the money or the house or whatever, the life insurance contract, to the name of my spouse. And in doing so, I could take good advantage of um, the, the amount of money the healthy spouse is allowed to keep. Another exception is um, we can transfer assets to – we can transfer the home to adult child caregivers. Okay, now this has to be the child of the person in the nursing home. Um, the child has to have lived in the home for the two preceding years prior to the nursing home admission. And because the child – lived in the home and took care of mom or dad in those two years, if we can get a doctor to sign off that because the child was living there and providing the care, that kept mom or dad from needing to go to the nursing home for the two years, we can transfer that home to the child free of penalty period. Now, there's a whole lot of paperwork and there's a whole lot of documentation. You're going to want to do this correct. But I have helped dozens of families keep the house because the daughter was a live-in caregiver over the years, and the state allows that exception. Another exception is families who have disabled children. So it's often the case that um, when dad goes to the nursing home that there may be an adult child of dad with some other type of disability. They may not need nursing home care now or in the future. They may need nursing home care now or in the future. But the state allows you to transfer assets to to disabled children. Now, not every disabled person is on public benefits. So if I have a disabled child where I might be able to transfer them some money um, and they're not – the child is not on needs-based benefits, SSI, Medicaid, um, we can – we can um, transfer those assets, and it might be a good situation, or it might not be a good situation, uh, depending on the type of disability. Another scenario, which is along the same lines, is we could create a special needs trust for the benefit of that disabled beneficiary. So if that disabled child is on public benefits themselves, we may not want to give them the money because then now the child's going to get booted off of benefits. Um, But we can do a special needs trust for that child, and it has to have a certain language and it has to be a certain type. But that can be a way, rather than losing all of dad's money to his nursing home stay at the rate of $18,000 a month, we can transfer the money to and, and have that money be for the benefit of dad's disabled child for the rest of their life um, and um, that might be a way better scenario for the family for the rest of that child's life. So there's a couple. We've already gone through four, and, and what these are is, a sex, is essentially uh, exempt transfers, people that even though there's a five-year look-back period, these are certain people that we're still allowed to give uh, the assets to, and there, there's a few others, but this can, can really help you um, protect assets. Now I want to talk about another one. 
Um, life insurance. See, life insurance, with the exception of the house, life insurance is probably the most um, commonly misunderstood uh, asset with, with regard to how it works for eligibility purposes. Right? So there's lots of different types of life insurance contracts. Some are term or group policies that have a death benefit and no real cash value. Some policies are, are, are more permanent in nature, like a whole life insurance contract, and oftentimes a whole life insurance contract will have some cash value. Now, when you go, so the policy might be a $300,000 death benefit with $100,000 of cash value, for example, which means if dad passes away, it's worth three hundred grand. but if dad wanted to, he could get $100,000 from the insurance company today. Now, here's the problem with whole life insurance contracts when it comes to Medicaid. <clears throat> is when somebody's in the nursing home, they have the obligation to make all of their assets available for that long-term care expense. So that $100,000 of cash value in that contract needs to be withdrawn, needs to be borrowed, needs to be cashed out, turn the dollars into cash dollars again, and then turn those over to the nursing home at the rate of $180,000 a year until you run out of money. So cash, but now we're in a situation where a family could potentially lose $300,000, the value of that death benefit, because they have to liquidate the $100,000 worth of cash value. And these numbers often are not that big. So with a lot of families, maybe the cash value is $30,000 and the death benefit is seventy dollars or $80,000. Well, we don't want to cash that thing out for $30,000 and lose the death benefit because on average, once a senior goes to the nursing home, they pass away within a few years. So we don't want to give up the difference between the cash value and the death benefit. But we still have the obligation to make the money available for care. All right. Now, on several occasions, what we've been able to do is say to the kids, the adult children, hey, is there any way you could come up with $30,000? Like if you had to refinance your house or maybe you have it in a retirement account or you have it in a cash account. But if the kids can come up with the value, the cash value of the life insurance contract, the kids can purchase that life insurance contract because we're purchasing it for fair market value. So now we're like, if the kids could write a check for $30,000 to dad and dad then transfers ownership of that life insurance contract for kid and it was $30,000 in value moving either direction, dad has not made a penalizable transfer because he got exactly the value that that contract was worth. He could get to 30, he sold it for 30. Now he's got the 30,000. But what the child just did is the child just bought a $70,000 death benefit for $30,000. And now at some point in time, we the kid is going to get that death benefit, and we didn't sacrifice the difference. So that can be a, a great maneuver in some families. Now, there's tax ramifications to this, and not every family has the ability to come up with the money. But it's the type of example of working with a certified elder law attorney, somebody who's been around the block a couple of times with these nursing home cases, can say, hey, let's not forfeit the 40 Let's not forfeit the death benefit. Um, let's do this instead, and it'll be it'll be a great decision uh, with regard to preserving the wealth. Okay. Um, so what we're doing today is I've already done five or six. We're we're going through ten things that you can still do after a nursing home admission. 
And what I'm imploring you to do is not freeze. You know, if you've got somebody in a nursing home, so many times people just assume there's nothing they can do or it's too darn complicated and we're not going to really protect any money anyhow. Um, and oftentimes, boy, there's, there's a lot we can do to protect assets. Um, and sometimes you don't even need to, to take maneuvers. You just need to know how this thing works. So I want to explain a thing called the asset-to-income rule to you. Now, this is getting kind of into the weeds of Medicaid eligibility, but 16 minutes into this episode, and if I still got your attention, um, perhaps this is uh, a thing that's on your mind. So, so here's the idea. Somebody goes to a nursing home, they need to apply for Medicaid benefits. Medicaid eligibility treats assets different than they treat income. Uh, and in a married case, the healthy spouse, if dad goes into the nursing home, mom gets to keep some assets and mom gets to keep some income. In fact, mom gets to keep some of dad's income as, uh, in addition to her own. And the state has a formula for how much income mom is allowed to keep from dad. And sometimes that income that mom would be allowed to keep would be, say, $2,000 a month, but dad's actual income is only 1500 per month. So if dad had $500 of more income monthly, mom would be allowed to keep every penny, but he doesn't. When this occurs, this is called the asset-to-income rule. When this occurs, we're actually allowed to keep additional assets to make up for the fact that dad doesn't have the income that mom would be allowed to keep. And it makes sense. They're trying to, you know, make sure that, in theory, what they're trying to do is make sure that mom has enough to get by. If he doesn't have enough income, then they're going to allow her to keep additional assets. But this, this one is almost never used because the families don't know how to do the math. And so what happens is they'll go to a nursing home, and the nursing home will say, you're not eligible until you spend down to this amount of assets. Or they'll read online or talk to Medicaid office. You're not eligible until you spend down to this amount of assets. But that calculation, typically, the, those people are never taking into account the income. And so often we can ad exempt additional assets because the person in the nursing home doesn't have high income. Um, but it almost never works unless you're working with an attorney because people don't apply for Medicaid until they think they're eligible for Medicaid and somebody already told them you had to spend all your money. And so as soon as somebody goes into the nursing home, I don't care if you got a million bucks or a hundred grand or twenty grand, as soon as somebody goes into the nursing home, it's probably worth checking in with an elder law attorney. At my office at the Secular Law Firm, we give away free consultations because oftentimes we're able to look at a situation and say, yes, 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 no, listen, you don't even need to hire us. You're automatically eligible for Medicaid. Don't let them tell you you're not. They haven't done the math yet. And so we can, we can point to these things and we can help you figure it out. Um, and, and determine if you're eligible for Medicaid, even if the folks you're dealing with won't. Um, and so the asset-to-income rule. Next, and th there's a couple of things what I call the low-hanging fruit. Uh, the low-hanging fruit, and these are particularly helpful in married cases where the, there's a healthy spouse that's allowed to own some assets. So let's say dad is back in the nursing home, mom is living out in the community. Remember one of the things we already covered is that we're allowed to transfer assets from dad to mom. You're allowed to transfer assets from the sick spouse to the healthy spouse. Well, now the healthy spouse has too much money. What's she going to do? Well, there's a couple of things she's allowed to own. Remember, the healthy spouse is typically allowed to own a house. Maybe that house needs some home repairs. 
Maybe we've been putting off putting a new roof on that house or new appliances in that house. Uh, we've been we've been trying to save our pennies and not spend. But now we're in a situation where dad's in the nursing home. We kind of have to spend money. So home repairs can be a very attractive thing to do with the money. Now, what we do with clients is we help them understand if this is the best option and then um, how much of a budget they should allocate, and then we'll help them figure it out. But home repairs can be a wonderful option, especially in a married case, because you've made a, an exempt transfer from from the the sick husband to the healthy spouse, and then the healthy spouse is investing those dollars into the primary residence, which is a thing she's allowed to own. So she doesn't have to own a house with a leaky roof. She can repair the roof because she's allowed to own that exempt house. So we're really using two different exemptions. Um, the, the autom- the, what you're allowed to do is transfer assets to the healthy spouse, and then the healthy spouse is allowed to use that money to repair her exempt residence. So that could be a smart thing for people to do. Um, in the same vein, we might consider purchasing a new vehicle for mom. Mom's allowed to own a car. Mom doesn't have to have a 1972 Yugo with uh, rusted out floor holes where she, you know, could can uh, stick her through, feet through and run like the Flintstones. She could have a nice car. Um, this doesn't always make sense, so don't just go out and buy a Cadillac every time. But it can make sense given the right situation. Uh, and of course, then the, the other low hanging fruit thing is um, funeral arrangements. The healthy spouse and the sick spouse, or if it's a single person, is allowed to own. Uh, a prearranged funeral. Now you have to do this in a certain way. You can't just um, you can make mistakes here. It has to be compliant with Medicaid's rules. But if you if you purchase and prepay funeral arrangements, um, then you're allowed to own that thing. That's an expense we're all inevitably going to have one day, and so we can use money that would otherwise go to the nursing home to prepay for these things, uh, and then thereby preserving the value for the family. Right. So that was nine nine things you can do after the admission to a nursing home. So then the question would become, well, which one are you going to do, right? And I don't know how you would determine which one you're going to do without working with a certified elder law attorney. So what I would like you to do, if you're in this situation and you're like, man, this guy's teaching me stuff I didn't know. Um, The nursing home didn't tell me this stuff. Give us a call. We'll give you a free consultation. Our phone number is 724-546-4227. You're calling the Seckler Law Firm. We're in Cranberry Township. We serve families across western Pennsylvania. We give free consultations if you have a loved one in a nursing home. So just give us a call, 724-546-4227, or check us out online at secklerlawfirm.com, S-E-C-H-L-E-R, lawfirm.com. Uh, we got a ton of free information there. There's downloadable guides. There's videos you can check out explaining these rules. Um, I started this law practice because my own family lost a lot of money to these broken rules when when my grandfather went to the nursing home, and nobody was out there teaching this stuff at the time. And so I've sort of made a career out of teaching people these things because I don't want you to go broke due to no long-term care costs. So check us out at secklerlawfirm.com. S-E-C-H-L-E-R lawfirm.com. And in the last minute or two that I have here, I'm going to give you number 10. Now, number 10 is the one that can give you the biggest bang for your buck. All right, This is the one that we have successfully used to protect hundreds of thousands of dollars even after someone is in a nursing home. Uh, and it is called a Medicaid-compliant annuity. Now, an annuity is an insurance contract I give money to an insurance company, and then the insurance company agrees to give me that money back. Now, sometimes that right for me to receive my money back is deferred, a deferred annuity. 
So I give them their money. They give me an interest rate for a defined period of time. Five years later, seven years later, I can have my money back. There's another type of an annuity called a single premium. I write them one check. Immediate annuity. Single premium immediate annuity. And what that thing does is it immediately starts paying me my money back after I wrote them a check. Okay, so um, just to do simple math, I might give an insurance company $100,000, and that insurance company may then give me back, uh, let's say, $4,000 a month for two years, which would be roughly $100,000 coming back to me. Um, So I've effectively converted what is an asset, the $100,000 I gave them, to an income stream as they give me my money back. Now, if you do this correctly, which you should only do this with the advice of a certified elder law attorney, we can buy a Medicaid-compliant annuity, do the calculations correctly, and get a stream of money coming back. Now, Medicaid treats assets differently than they treat income from an eligibility standpoint. And so you're not allowed to have assets in a... um, in a married case in particular, you are allowed to have healthy spouse income. And so sometimes it makes a ton of sense to transfer assets, convert them into what Medicaid counts as an income stream, and then the healthy spouse gets to keep that income. Um, now, you don't need a healthy spouse to be able to take advantage of doing annuity planning, but what you need is is somebody to help you figure this stuff out. So I just gave you 10. There's probably a dozen more things you can do after a nursing home admission. But trust me, you're not going to figure this out on your own. You need somebody with experience, and you need to reach out to us at secklerlawfirm.com, S-E-C-H-L-E-R lawfirm.com, or give us a call, 724-546-4227. What we do is help people protect money, get the care they need without going broke in the process. Uh, I hope you have found this episode interesting. I hope you found it educational. Uh, But don't try these things at home. You need to hire a lawyer if you're in this situation because every family's facts are different. Not all these strategies work for everybody, so be real careful. Give us a call, 724-546-4227. I appreciate you listening. Have a great week. This has been the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm, where great families make great plans. SecklerLawFirm.com or call 724-841-1393.